You are listening to Studying Pixels, a sexy witch podcast on game studies and video game culture. I'm Stefan Heinrich Simon. I'm a game study scholar from Germany. I'm Dan Hughes, a Japanese scholar from Texas. And you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. I have to say that I really love video games. Oh, that's good. That say their own name on the title screen. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. when you press, it's like press any button to start. And Bayonetta, the game that we're going to talk about today, Bayonetta 3, does this. Where you press any button and then it goes like, Bayonetta. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's uh yeah i think is that a capcom holdover with resident evil with uh yeah Kamiya being over there yeah maybe resident evil i think imagine any kind of other medium doing that it's like you're, you're watching uh, yeah it's like <laughs> schindler's list <laughs> oh boy lock in everybody <laughs> it's so silly and so charming that when i started the game Bayonetta 3, and it said Bayonetta, I was immediately enthralled. Yeah, it does set the tone a little bit. I think these are <laughs> they're silly games, and there's something about that kind of the the actual voice of the game coming in and sort of saying, it's going to be silly, everybody. <laughs> Strap in. It's going to be silly, it's going to be self-referential, and I yeah. think to give my my opinion up top in brief, that's also what I think is the greatest strength of Bayonetta 3, um, mm. not having played the former games in the series, I do think that it's wonderful how silly this game is. I think it's wonderful how stylish it is. And I love the music. The musical compositions are absolutely impressive. At the same time, I am a bit more lukewarm on the combat and the story and therefore uh, would deem it a good game, but not a very good game. Yeah, I think we have the exact same thoughts, basically. Um, I have played Bayonetta one and two, but I played them when they were released. So take that with a grain of salt because that was, I think there was five years between each of these games or more. And so I do remember vaguely, uh, the story and the characters. There were some things that I had to look up during the game just to make sure I was on the right track. Uh, but I agree. I think the music was really fun, really eclectic and very different, which was great. I like that it wasn't just one thing which i remember from bayonetta one being kind of an issue um so aesthetically very fun but yeah i think the combat and the story neither was so great that i was excited when one of them ended if that makes sense (laughs) once yeah once a cutscene was over i said okay more combat and then once a fight was over i said oh boy another cutscene okay (laughs) yep (laughs) well we're gonna give of course an in-depth review of the game before that we're also going to go into the drama revolving around the new voice actress jennifer hale who's taken over the role of the protagonist bayonetta but before we go into this as our main story i briefly want to remind you out there that if you like this show and want to help us make it happen then you can do so by subscribing to studying pixels plus We have wonderful selections of bonus episodes there, plus episodes as we call them. And this month, we got a new one. It's called How God of War Works. So if you're feeling angry and you want want an outlet about what rage might mean in a video game, please listen to our plus episode. 
And it's the perfect preparation for God of War Ragnarok, which is going to come out in just a few days as this episode here releases. And if you want to catch up on the events of the older God of War games and just get a little bit of a deeper understanding of what makes God of War actually a fairly interesting series, even before the reboot in 2018, then this Plus episode is definitely for you. So if you want to, then head over to studyingpixels.com plus to find out more. And months before the release of Bayonetta 3, there were already rumors circulating that Helena Taylor might not take over the role in the third game. And on October 5th, game director Yusuke Miyata, he confirmed in an interview with Game Informer that that is the case. He said, quote, various overlapping circumstances made it difficult for Helena Taylor to reprise her role, end quote. That's a very corporate, very diplomatic answer. It seems like they probably just went in a different direction for popularity or for financial service or reasons. But I do think that some of the various circumstances here may be how Helena Taylor acts and conducts herself. That would be my guess. Yeah, that, that might have been a crucial problem. We obviously don't know exactly what happened behind the curtain, but we do know that they definitely wanted to put more emphasis on Jennifer Hale as the new voice of Bayonetta. However, fans, long-term Bayonetta fans, were concerned and upset because they, of course, and this is, I think, very understandable, they associate uh, Taylor's distinctive voice and accent with Bayonetta. I mean, that's just what the voice that you can organically imagine to come out of the voice of the, uh, of the mouth of the fictional character Bayonetta, right? Yeah, it's definitely a very distinct voice. If you go back and play Bayonetta 1 and 2, it doesn't feel like... I, I have this theory that somewhere in the mid-2000s, um, everybody started getting voice direction in the same way because a lot of video games 
the acting just sounds the same. There's no nuance or like weird hiccups or, or real voice acting that comes through so much anymore. Like I'm thinking of a Silent Hill 2, for example, where James Sunderland was just some guy <laughs> that yeah. they found. That doesn't happen anymore. And I feel like um, Helena Taylor as Bayonetta is one of those like slip through the cracks, real personalities who made that character very distinct and she should be commended for that so i can understand why fans were upset that is definitely an accomplishment um that we always we should also keep in mind when we talk about what comes next because on october 15th helena taylor she took to twitter and posted a video statement in which she claims that she was offered a meager four thousand dollars or pounds i'm not quite sure i think it was dollars that i think it was indicated. dollars Four thousand yeah. US dollars to play the part of Bayonetta, and I actually have a short clip from that video statement, and we can just briefly listen in. What did they offer to pay me? The final offer to do the whole game as a buyout, a flat rate, was four thousand US dollars. This is an insult to me. The amount of time that I took to work on my talent and everything that I have given to this game and to the fans. That was a brief excerpt of the video statement that Helena Taylor posted on Twitter. And of course, uh, 4,000 US dollars, that's not much. Like if you think about, uh, it might seem at first, $4,000, I would, I would take $4,000 any day. But then again, of course, there is a long process to get qualified as a voice actress to reach this kind of quality standard. And also lots of lines, lots of recording sessions that you need to put in. So it seems like uh, this is quite an insignificant and indeed insulting offer. Taking this as it is, right, that statement of I was offered $4,000, if that was taken in a vacuum for a character like Bayonetta, the idea that you are creating this character that, I mean, that, that the game, as we're going to talk about, is so personality driven that it's really hard to say that you're not contributing to the success of the sales of that game by having that character be recognizable. I think this is something similar that happened when David Hayter was ousted as Solid Snake, where you kind of think, but that's, he's, he's the guy, like he's made he's made this character he's made this franchise like when i think of snake and metal gear i think of that voice so i think it is kind of a to hear that the fans did take it as a slap in the face how dare you take advantage of this person who made this character indeed and that was also part of the plan as it seems because taylor herself she called for fans to boycott the game she said do not buy the game and instead donate that money to charity now before we move on with the story, because it will turn out that not everything that she said there is was properly correct, but there are two more videos, actually, that didn't get as much attention. And in researching, um, doing the research for this episode, I went and watched these additional videos. And especially in hindsight, they do seem quite eerie. They were posted on the same date. And in those two additional videos, Taylor goes on to speak about the economic situation in the UK and about being herself impoverished and depressed. So she talks from a very personal angle there that she's really not in a good place. She then, in the third video, wishes 
all the best to who she calls the new girl, which would be Jennifer Hale then. But she says also that Jennifer Hale is not the voice of Bayonetta, that she did not create the character and that Jennifer Hale has no right to sign any merchandise as the voice of Bayonetta. So she gets really petty in those two additional videos. It should be pointed out, she's not referring to her as the new girl because she didn't know who it would be. <laughs> she she knows it's Jennifer Hale. Yeah, that is true because actually, uh, now that you point that out, of course, because uh, those videos were posted on October 15th, uh, Platinum Games announced on October 5th, so 10 days earlier, that Jennifer Hale would be the new voice of Bayonetta. So it was already clear by that point. David Hayter is the case example here where you look and think, imagine if he had reacted this way. You know, oh, well, he's not Snake. You know, Kiefer Sutherland is not Snake. And I he can't sign anything and he can't talk about the character. It's like, well, I remember David Hayter very diplomatically said at the time something to the effect of, well, it's the business. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. And it's rough. I I understand that it's rough, especially when you are so invested in creating that personality and shaping the personality of that character. And then someone else carries over in your stead. I can understand that there's a degree of humiliation in that. But at the same time, it is also important to be fair in such a competitive uh, industry. And to when things are said and done, this was at this point, uh, uh, Helena Taylor had lost the role, it was clear that that was over and done with, then I think it's not a nice move to use the public renown that she has in order to say such things that are at least uh, passive aggressive. Yes, at the very least. (laughs) At the very (laughs) least. And of course, uh, it must be clear that Twitter, Twitter is an outrage machine of course now more than ever (laughs) yes now more than ever now that elon musk has it anyway yeah Uh, and of course there was an immediate outrage an immediate backlash people targeted platinum games and especially the game director and creative head behind the series hideki kamiya Uh, he in turn began to block everyone he i think blocked the entirety of Twitter. I think it was basically alone <laughs> on his Twitter feed now. And as a full disclaimer, I'm also blocked by yeah. Hideki Kamiya. It sounds a little bit silly now. <laughs> uh, well, I, I mean, your your famous history with, uh, I, and I'm going to be, I'm you know, I don't want to be too hyperbolic here, but your famous history of utterly despising Devil May Cry. <laughs> I mean, I, I love Devil May Cry, just not the game that he made. <laughs> oh, yes, excuse me. You, you love the Ninja Team one. So DMC, you don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think it's so funny that as soon as you told me that Hideki Kamiya blocked me, I was losing my mind. And then you, <laughs> I think you only recently found out who he actually was, right? And <laughs> I, I mean, I, I knew he, I knew he was at Platinum Games. I knew he was a, in a high position or he is in a high position Yeah, at, at Platinum Games. And the, the reason is I didn't n- intend to be mean to him or any such thing. Uh, the sole reason for why I'm blocked is that <laughs> Kamiya, he, uh, I went, I took to his Twitter feed because I wanted to see what's going on. I wanted to follow up on the story. Now, he refers to everyone else, uh, everyone who reaches out to him in English or any other language than Japanese as an insect. This is a quote, like he says, you know, all of these English speaking insects and so on. And he announces that he will block anyone who speaks to him in a language other than Japanese, which I think is, frankly, a little bit hilarious. But, uh, okay. (laughs) So this is the kind of 
this is the kind of atmosphere that we're talking about. And now I thought to myself, what kind of uh, happenstance is this? I actually do speak some Japanese. So I reached out to him and I didn't say anything mean to him or, or something. I just said to him that I can't quite understand or I find it hard to understand uh, why he doesn't respond in any proper manner and instead just blocks people. And that got me blocked immediately. Even though what? I spoke... To I followed the rules. I spoke to him in Japanese as he, you can't expect, and this is something what, 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 that shocks me so much. Hideki Kamiya is in a high position at Platinum Games. He's made many games. He's, he's made his living. He's done a lot of art and craft that is very respectable. And I don't want to say anything negative about the works and his work as such. But I just find it in a similar way to how Helena Taylor reacted, kind of just petty and a little bit like insufficiently grown up, I must say. Childish. Yeah. Childish. I, I didn't want to use that word, but yes, it's the reaction is a bit childish. Let's call a spade a spade. I think Hideki Kamiya, I don't know as much about him, but I, I do know from Devil May Cry discourse and things like that. Um, especially when the first Bayonetta came out, I remember this. Um, he kind of has a reputation as being sort of prickly like that. And I think this was everyone who knew him and how he operates kind of said, oh, he's really leaning into it <laughs> with this one. And I think regardless of what's going on behind the scenes, I mean, you just put out a statement saying, you know, I respect both actresses and, you know, I'm really looking forward to the game that we've created because so many people worked on this game. And for you to throw a fit like this, it really kind of puts a pall over the rest of it, I think. That made things so difficult for me because... Yeah. When I saw the initial video by Helena Taylor and she called for a boycott, I immediately thought, nah, I'm not going to boycott this game because I know that there are so many people who work on this game and I'm not going to make it all dependent on the fact that she might have not received the salary that she wanted, even though she should be entitled to a, a proper salary. And the same thing applies to Hideki Kamiya, where I thought, uh, well, you know, he's not handling the situation well. Uh, he's not being nice on Twitter or he's just blocking everyone and being a little bit childish in the way he acts. But still, he's not he he's not Platinum Games. He's, of course, very influential in conceptualizing and putting into action what Bayonetta is. But it's so much more than just him as a person and his Twitter persona. So I'm not going to judge the game based on that. Exactly. I think that's what the backlash kind of We've talked about this before on the show where that just seems misplaced because more so than I think any other medium, video games have so many people working on them. And you can tell playing Bayonetta 3, you know, we've talked about the music and we'll talk more about the gameplay and things. However lukewarm we might be on it, it is a pretty impressive technical game. It's There's a lot of great work that went into it. So to write them off because of these two babies, I think is really, it's not it's not worth it. Exactly. Don't overestimate or overreact to things like such a, a dirty Twitter argument. Yeah. Actually, things took quite a turn after that anyway, because Jason Schreier reported on Bloomberg that Helena Taylor, her initial statement was incorrect. According to Schreier's information, which stems from insiders and confidential documentation that he was able to check out, Platinum Games had offered Hale roughly 15,000 US dollar. Not 4,000, but 15,000. They claim 
that Helena Taylor declined the offer and instead demanded a six-figure sum, which Platinum Games then rejected. And so Platinum Games started to recast the role with Jennifer. They found Jennifer Hale and then later offered Taylor the 4,000 US dollars. So that was correct. They offered her that, but not for the whole game, but rather for a cameo so that she would appear in the game and play a role. And I think after playing through the game, you can kind of see in which sequence such a cameo would have happened, right? It, it would have been brilliant, actually. Yeah. Because, and what a, what a missing the forest for the trees that she had, because again, everyone should be compensated fairly for the work that they do. I, I am absolutely on board with that. Um, but man, what a missed opportunity that we can maybe touch on. It's just like, it was perfect. And, and it, so if I'm understanding correctly, <clears throat> she was offered 15,000 for voicing the entire game. And then she turned that down. Then Platinum Games came back and said, well, will you at least do this? We'll give you 4000 for it. Which, having both played the game, Stefan, it is maybe 10 minutes. Maybe. Taylor then took to Twitter and she posted a kind of rebuttal to mm. Jason Schreier's reporting uh, to set the record straight. And I read through her rebuttal on Twitter, but it not, it's not actually a rebuttal. She kind of corroborates the numbers that Jason Schreier posted because... She says in her own tweets then, in her, in her defense, that the initial offer was 10,000 US dollars for the whole game. Then she complained and was offered another 5,000 US dollars. So in total, the 15,000 US dollars that Jason Schreier claimed was the offer. She declined that offer and then she was yeah, offered 4,000 US dollars as a cameo. So when she says in her video, quote, the last offer was 4,000 US dollars for the whole game, end quote, then that is simply not correct. So now fans are upset with her for deceiving them. If it hadn't been for the pettiness that you mentioned, I could see her playing this off as, I'm sorry, I misspoke. I, the last offer was after the 10 or after the 15,000 was taken off the table for the entire role the last offer I received was 4,000. So what I said was technically true. I can see how that would be misleading. She didn't say any of this. It was, no. She did indeed say 4,000 US dollars for the whole game. Now, uh, all of this escalated um, in a manner that only Twitter can produce. And uh, as a conclusive point on that matter, I found the statement that Jennifer Hale posted on October 19th on Twitter um, most compelling because... Uh, she, as the now new voice of Bayonetta, she said, quote, There are lessons in this. So many lessons. Let's just be good to each other. Let's start there. And sleep. <laughs> sleep is nice. End quote. What a, what a total lesson in like how to handle a difficult situation. Especially when you're at the center of it. And something that um, we should also mention is that as much hatred as Camille was getting, Jennifer Hale was also getting a ton of backlash, uh, completely undeservedly. And so for her to turn around and do this, it's sort of like, well, we have two sides of this coin. Here's Helena Taylor's response to being slighted and being passive aggressive and being petty. And then Jennifer Hale comes out uh, like on a white horse saying, let's all be good to each other. It's all just a job. <laughs> let's, let's calm down. That's actually one of the crucial lessons that I take from, from this story, that it is important sometimes 
to just, you know, not react to everything immediately. Definitely. Twitter, it has this kind of logic and it encourages people to see something and then immediately pour their outrage into a short tweet. And when enough people do that, then it causes a huge wave of outrage that can be quite profound and get, that can significantly impact someone's life. And most of the time, that is not a good thing to do. So I think it really is a valuable lesson that when something like this happens, when an accusation is made like the one that Helena Taylor made, first take the time, leave it up to people who properly investigate and uh, check and see whether the story is actually true to then react couple of days later well said and i don't i don't want to put us on a pedestal too much and say like how holier than thou we are <laughs> because that's not my intention but i will say the reason that we haven't talked about this prior to our bayonetta review is because stefan and i both independently and then together said to each other there's something weird about this <laughs> let's yeah let's give it a couple weeks to see how it all plays out and then as soon as we said that everything blew up with jason schreier <laughs> exactly well Shall we take a brief break before we go then into our in-depth review of the game itself? Let's do it. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And we are back talking about Bayonetta 3, about the actual review, because beneath all of this drama, there is actually a game worth playing. And I, as I said, haven't played the first two games. So I watched a story summary mm. of the first two games. You were more confused. <laughs> <laughs> I was just more confused. The story of these games, I wasn't aware how confusing it actually was. 
Yeah. And the thing is that I watched it and that was a good thing because I had a bit of an understanding of the characters and the concepts that would be addressed, such as the singularity and such things. Mm. At the same time, as soon as I started up Bayonetta 3, the game hit me over the head. It's like a train that ran me over with information, with chaos, with characters. Everything explodes and falls apart. And I'm just like, what, what is going on in this video game? Yeah. And in fairness, Bayonetta 1 and 2 open in the same hectic way where they it's sort of a um, in media res where they show something that's happening later in the game and then they cut back to the, the sort of present or the start of the game which actually had a kind of a fun twist in this game too, because the when you get to that point, it's actually not quite that point, which was kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, it is a mile, a, uh, just a mile a minute craziness from start to finish. And I, having played one and two when they came out, uh, kind of knew what I was going into a little bit. I was expecting the breakneck speed but even expecting that, there were points where I had to set the controller down and just go, what is happening in this game? <laughs> you can barely see what's going on, partially. I was just sitting there and I was just like, it, it seemed to me as if in the production process, they said, uh, let's put uh, the color on the screen. And they're like, what, what color? It's like, all the color. <laughs> at the same time? Yes, at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Why would we do it? Desperately, we have to put them all in there now. <laughs> all of the, and you know what we ask of players to press the button. Yeah, yeah which yes. button? All of them. All, all of the buttons. Them. All the time. time. Yes, yes, all the time. I'm like <laughs> hammering the buttons, and it's it's so chaotic, and this, the the pace is so high in in Bayonetta three that I was I was stunned by it. At first, it like it it ran me over like a train. Then I kind of got into the flow, and I accepted that some things are just too fast for my brain to catch on to. Yeah. And that's also fine. Sometimes just your brain just registers chaotic fighting going on. You know? Yeah. <laughs> just lock on to one enemy and hope for the best. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It'll all turn out. It is always on. The game is, the switch of this game is always on. Yes. And in every sense of the word, it's, it's fast paced. Bayonetta is crazy and fun. All the other characters are all over the place. The introduction of Rodan in this game with his pizza van, <laughs> just, you, did you forget about this? <laughs> Surfing no, I didn't. on the title wave? Okay, I was going to say, there's so much craziness, you might forget it. But um, his his introduction, uh, the whole the whole opening cutscene is just, you start from Bayonetta doing like grocery shopping, going into all of Manhattan is underwater in about two seconds. Exactly. And because you mentioned the introduction of Rodan, which is, him, uh, I think, punching a gigantic water monster in the face, then driving <laughs> around in a van, losing sight of the like a stack of pizzas, and then flying through the air with his bus, catching all of them again. He throws guns to Bayonetta from a pizza box. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and this is all just something that that just happens like fleetingly uh, as a side note while the actual action is going on. There's a moment in Rodan's bar where the main characters are speaking. It's early on. The main characters are speaking to one another and there's just this thing kind of walking around in the background. And in my head, I just wrote it off like, oh, that must be something that I forgot from game one and two. But then Rodan is like, hey, what is that thing walking around in the background? <laughs> <laughs> you mind introducing me to this thing? Yeah, that was so funny because I'm like, oh, I guess I didn't forget it. It's just that the game is insane. And it turns out the thing that's 
Cheshire, which is the, you could say, the demon summon of the game's second protagonist, Viola. Because there are kind of two protagonists that you play as. Actually, are yeah, three, but two are more prominent. That is, the, of course, Bayonetta uh, in her old and beloved form, and also in many new ones. Then there's Viola, and there is, of course, also Jeanne, who has been present in the previous games and who's not really introduced in the third one. So I think I would say if you have not played the former two games, then definitely watch a brief story summary uh, so that help, you can, yeah. yeah, so that you understand like why is Jean, okay, suddenly Jean appears and everyone knows Jean and then she kind of disappears again and does her own thing and so on. We get to that in a second. But it all is pretty chaotic and then it kind of is the setup for, uh, let's say, a multiverse plot. Because if I understood this correctly, the idea of the story, the key idea, just and its fundamental principle, is that there are these homunculi. These homunculi are, they are in some form humans, but transformed into monstrosities. Some are small enemies, some small fry, Others are gigantic, Godzilla-like monstrosities. Mm. And they are trying to uh, make all of the different uh, realities, all of the different universes, fold into one so that they can destroy it all. That's the kind of idea, right? Yeah, that's... Uh, again, I think one of the things that Bayonetta does is it takes a really simple concept and throws a lot of jargon and flashiness at you to make you think that it's more complicated than it is. Um, but yeah, exactly what you just said. There is a, a villain called the Singularity who is, um, he discovered multiverse travel and then kind of snapped and recognized that with all of the multiverses out there, there's no meaning to anything. So he wants to bring everything into one singularity point and then hopefully, I guess things would be better after that. <laughs> yeah, who, who knows? It's not clear what the what the motivation actually is, and we're not going to go into spoiler territory at this point. But uh, what Bayonetta and Viola and John then find herself having to do is to collect five chaos gears. Each chaos gear is in a different reality or in a different yeah part of the multiverse, you could say, and to bring all of them to a scientist, Dr. Sigurd, who will then hopefully be able to open a gate to the Alphaverse. <laughs> it sounds also hilarious. Uh, yes, which is where the singularity is from and where he's doing all of this. Yeah. Yes, so The idea exactly. is let's, re let's reach him and his universe so we can kill him. Yeah, yeah. So that is actually a really nice setup. It sounds so needlessly complicated, and it is partially needlessly complicated. <laughs> yep. But it is also a nice setup for allowing... Bayonetta and Viola to travel into all sorts of interesting locations because you basically you have a map and you select a, a chapter on this map and uh, then you have this kind of uh, you have a main island Thule that connects everything. It's like a, a small hub world where you do some you know, collectible stuff and then you always go through a portal which takes you to a new set piece and those set pieces are things like modern-day Tokyo, Shinjuku spe spe uh, specifically, ancient China, uh, a desert, and a couple of Which other was, locations. I think was was Egypt, because they said it was Cairo. Egypt. Yeah. Ah, so Egypt. 
and it was it, which I I really I did enjoy that. Um, and what's fun too is that you meet different bayonettas in those different worlds. So you meet like a Harajuku girl <laughs> bayonetta in the Tokyo one, which was really fun. Um, there's like a Egyptian princess, um, an ancient Chinese warlord, <laughs> which was cool. There, it, it's a lot of fun. I would say though, this is where my gripes start to come in because I had this moment of realization playing this game where I thought multiverse stories are lazy <laughs> because it's a framework that is, it's really the concept is interesting and alluring because, okay, there's infinite realities where it's just a what if game, right? What if Bayonetta was an Egyptian princess, right? That's fun. But where it started falling down for me is that it, it's an excuse to not have cohesion in a video game where you can just say, well, we're in this world now. So that's what we're doing. And I felt like on the one hand, Video games have their history in different levels and different worlds, so that's fine. But I feel like we've kind of moved past that, and the multiverse framework is just a lazy way to just say, well, we're doing this now. <laughs> so I, does that make sense? It it bothered me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, it, it didn't bother me because I had embraced uh, this kind of uh, inconsistency at this point already. Uh, since like every chapter takes you not every chapter that's not correct but almost every chapter takes you every to couple a, of, yeah two or three yeah there are always two or three chapters in the same location and then you go to a different one and it all seems like the idea the concept behind it was well we can't quite settle on a setting uh, so just like we did with the colors and the buttons why don't we do all of them <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we have like just you, you just you know you develop your uh, ancient chinese setting and there's really, they don't bother much uh, to integrate everything together. You encounter these other alternative bayonetas, but there's no uh, or barely any meaningful interaction between uh, the, the different bayonetas. They do interact, they see each other, sometimes they fight, sometimes they run from each other and so on. But there's not really anything where I thought, wow, this really engaged me now. It was more mm. like a theme park, you know, where you go through and you're like, oh, cool, here's this world, here's this world. It's all sufficiently entertaining and never sticks around long enough to get boring. I think, yeah, theme park is definitely a, a, <laughs> a good uh, caps encapsulation of this game. I think what, what bothered me, because we mentioned the other Bayonettas, there was so little characterization in the game. It was basically just, here's a costume for Bayonetta. But then when it did venture into the idea of character development, where without getting into spoilers, there's sort of a, a, a little interaction with like a mother-daughter kind of thing. When it started doing that, I just had this moment where I was like, this is a very shorthand way of doing character development by just saying, here's another version of you that might have a different problem. And by talking to that other version, you've overcome the issue. It just, it kind of seems lame to me. I was comparing it to time travel stories where what the, the difference that I had in my head was when you have a time travel story, when a 15 year old version of someone meets a 45 year old version, they are two different characters. It's understood that it's the same person, 
But the point of that story is to either have the 45-year-old version look back on themselves and think, I wish I could take things from that version of myself and integrate them into my life. Or it's a cautionary tale for the 15-year-old to say, I don't want to become this person despite having things in common with them. At no point do you really feel like it's the same person because so many things have happened. When you have a multiverse story like this, where it's literally Bayonetta talking to Bayonetta, if it's something like, I want to explore Bayonetta's mother issues, it just seems lazy to me <laughs> where you don't do any depth, uh, anything in depth. You don't do anything kind of meaningful. It's just sort of, well, she's in a world where she's dealing with this right now. Yeah, there is also no meaningful character development, I think. Yeah. I mean, there, there is character development, but it's very shallow and very rushed and not properly motivated or explored to any degree that would for me, warrant an analytical inquiry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I quickly gave up on this idea and just thought, okay, so these are this is what the game is doing. These are kind of set pieces that they're throwing me in, like different kind of fun little roller coasters that all have their unique aesthetic and their unique twist when it comes to the gameplay. But they're not really working towards anything narratively significant. Well, let's let's talk about the gameplay then, because... I had the exact same thought you did, where I, about halfway through, I said, I'm turning my analytical brain off. There's nothing here for that. <laughs> yeah. Analysis XE not found. <laughs> it's not found, yeah. <laughs> so, I, and I think that's fine, right? There are games that can just be fun and flashy and, and cool, right? And I think about Devil May Cry. Like, I don't think Devil May Cry has a real purpose other than to be cool. And that's fine. So... The next question, though, is when a game is like that, is it fun? Is it cool? Is it flashy? And I would say that there's a lot of good stuff going on in the combat. It is definitely a platinum game. It definitely feels like it. But I never felt excited to go back into a fight. It felt kind of not stale because I, I think it was it was fun enough, but nothing made me really excited or interested even when i got a new weapon or demon power they, they do have some nice ideas uh, that captivated me for quite a while uh, of course uh, there's an elaborate move set of bayonetta herself mm -hmm. and viola as well uh, that move set also expands with every new weapon you get and the summons are probably the biggest highlight they are really like major summons major creatures that you can summon that are tall like buildings and you can kind of direct them. When you summon them, they are super powerful. You can give them attacks and they will attack the enemy and make a lot of damage. But at the same time, Bayonetta herself, she's like half naked dancing in a spot <laughs> and she can't move. She's completely vulnerable. And if an enemy hits Bayonetta, then the summon disappears. And even more significantly so, if the summon gets enraged, by I think it's like over time they it's like a rage meter that that heats up by them taking damage and doing damage and so on, and if it gets out of control, then the summon will attack anything indiscriminately, including bayonetta. And so that is a really interesting gamble where they keep things fresh by introducing new weapons and new summons and this kind of uh, strategic element to it, or I shouldn't say strategic tactical element to it. It's like, how, when do you use your summons? How long do you use them for? And when it's maybe safer to call them back, you know? The, the summons were definitely my highlight for the game. 
I really liked their design. I liked how the the gameplay changed when you had one of them equipped or um, like if you had their, so each summon has a corresponding weapon that you can equip to Bayonetta that changes her fighting style. Um, I ended up going with the spider for the entire game because I thought that was the most fun. Um, and I think that it does reward you investing in a certain skill tree so that you can see all the different attacks that that summon has because that is pretty rewarding um but i think that you know with any of these action games i kind of stuck with one thing (laughs) after a while because there's so much yeah there is so much and unfortunately for my personal way of playing these games there is way too much to unlock in one playthrough yeah so you need to really focus. I think I think I completed the skill tree of maybe four or five of the weapons and summons uh, in pair. And there were at least three or four more that I hadn't even touched just because I went through in a linear fashion. And uh, I, I, was, I felt like I was always lagging behind, even though I just did quite some exploration and you know getting additional orbs that you can then invest i never really got to a point where i felt like oh i can uh, freely explore my arsenal but instead always having to you know i'll stick to this now and level it all the way up then i get to the next one and then i'm like nah, okay the next one is not that fun but now i'll have to finish leveling it up <laughs> that's the kind of thing that i that i did in this game I mean, you get to a point in the game where if you've invested in one, then if you switch to another one, it's not as powerful and it's not as fun. So you kind of run into that issue too, where you, you've got this power creep kind of problem. But I think the other the other aspect of these summons is that at the end of each chapter, there's usually like what I can only call a kaiju battle with yes. the boss. A, wait, a, a kaiju battle just for those not mm. well versed in the in the diction that's basically like a godzilla gigantic monsters fighting in a city and crumbling buildings and so on Th- that's giant the battle massive monsters yeah biting and eating each other yeah i i really i really liked those sequences um particularly uh the one in paris i thought was very fun the uh it kind of turned into a melody um beat game <laughs> It's a rhythm game. Point. Yeah, it's a rhythm yeah. game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those those I felt were really interesting where there's there's like a lot of mini games that pop up in Bayonetta 3 that progress the story where okay, we're doing a big battle with two giant Godzilla monsters. Now we're doing a rhythm game. Now it's more of a um uh like a shoot 'em up. <laughs> yeah, like game a 2D arcade up. shooter. Yeah. Yeah. They they bring all of these elements together and juggle them around in a very um, self-referential manner. They understand mm. video games and they like to play with video game tropes, including the rule structures and the way you engage with, with these games. And that, I think, made the boss fights really fun. Whenever there was a boss fight, for me, it was, of course, the, the regular combat mechanics, the way I drained their health bar over time. That was also cool. That was fine and fun. But uh, then these gimmicky parts occur they were great well you're just like okay technically these are just like very simplistic events sometimes it's just more like a quick time event or like a small little uh gameplay exception that happens but they're in they're, they're staged in such a fun way and um i always found them really entertaining when they happened i agree and i like that they were generally on theme with the the world that you were in 
Yeah. So the um, in the ancient China world, the big final boss is the Monkey King, <laughs> which was great. He's riding on a cloud. So that I felt like was where Bayonetta 3 really shined. And I really looked forward to those boss fights because they were after the second or third one, I thought, oh, these are all going to be different and fun. And I started really enjoying those. But I will say it's it's eclectic in how many different game styles there are in this game. It felt like a Suda 51 game to me. It felt like because he's notorious for I'm going to do all of these different things that I love about video games and put it into one thing. And this game felt like that with so many different tonal shifts and gameplay shifts and okay, we're doing a, you know, like a, a Jean is going to be like Samus at this point in the game. You know, there's all different kinds of influence and different styles that pop up that I will say made it less of a slog than I was anticipating, which made me pretty happy. Yeah, it it had that effect on me as well. Though I must say that I consistently struggled with the fact that I often didn't feel quite in control. Mm. This is, of course, due to the fact that with all these gameplay mechanics uh, being thrown around, uh, that inevitably you just end up going into a new sequence and then, okay, there's a tutorial and you read through the tutorial and then you just about get used to it and then it switches into a different thing, switches gears again. But even in the basic combat, which is generally fun and engaging, especially in comparison to having played the God of War games just recently. Oh, yeah. It never felt as um, precise uh, to me as I would have wanted. I know that many people really praise and love the combat in Bayonetta, and I can see that it's a really amazing system. But it never felt like I had learned the ropes properly. It always brought so many new things to the table that I always felt like I have to catch up with it and I'm not quite good at good enough at it yet. I agree. <laughs> I felt the same way. <laughs> and it might just be that these aren't our kinds of games, Stefan. I don't know. Yeah. But because I I it's one of those things where while I was playing it, I was having kind of a hard time enjoying it at certain points. But I was I, in the back of my mind, I was thinking the people who like this game are going to love this game. <laughs> and yeah. that's something I should say, right? For someone who doesn't seek out Devil May Cry and Bayonetta and these kinds of games, it, I was engaged. I liked a lot of the um, artistic choices that they made, the creative decisions. Um, but I, I recognize that people are saying this is the best of the series. I can see why they're saying that, definitely. Yeah, and the thing is that I really disliked Devil May Cry 5. I think we've established that by now. <laughs> yeah, one of the <laughs> pillars of our show. <laughs> exactly. And the thing is that with Devil May Cry 5, the thing is that there is a good combat system there, but it's not really super engaging for me. And it thinks it's more stylish than it is. Like, I actually think Devil May Cry 5 is an obnoxious game. <laughs> but uh, with, with Bayonetta, it's a little bit different. With Bayonetta... It does have a generally engaging combat system. It does have the kind of style that it thinks it has. Like, it's not overly confident. The game actually delivers on everything that it promises. But it's true that playing the game through once, from beginning to end credits, that's basically... It's, it is like a gigantic tutorial with different set pieces, and then the game expects you to go back into the chapters and to optimize your ratings for the combat, that you then unlock all the skills, and then you learn the tools 
that you might not have learned in your first playthrough. So it's true that this game uh, expects a little bit of a different approach, an approach that I'm not a big fan of because I like to play through games once and then I only go back into them if I really like it and it hasn't grabbed me sufficiently to do that. I agree. I don't think I'll be playing this again. I think I enjoyed it, but I'm I'm very similar in the sense that uh, I could I could even see as you said, the tutorializing moments again in my head, I could see this is what they want me to do if I go back to this level. And yeah, yeah uh, you know, I, I don't know that I'll invest that time in it. I mean, they even made good use of some optional combat challenges because there are, when you run through the world, these different like light pillars on the ground. There's, for example, like a, a purple light shining on the ground. That means you can basically beam into a different part of the multiverse where you have a small combat challenge that imposes specific aspects. For example, it might be that you can only make damage to these enemies in this optional challenge by activating Witch Time, which is, I think, already established from the previous games. When you block at the right time or dodge at the right time, then time slows down and you can put in some additional heavy hits. And by doing that, the game smartly directed me to say, hey, uh, take a moment and properly focus just on learning how to block or how to dodge properly, because that's the only way you can make damage. And that is something that I truly appreciate. At the same time, they fumble that a little bit because these challenges are often very obtuse, And yep. uh, the time limit is very strict. And whenever you fail, there's this insert where it says on the screen failure and this voice comes in i never want to hear that voice again and it says the shadow remains cast yeah and you're like oh god this again and then you have to run to the challenge again and then you have to you know confirm three times before you can actually get into it so they make it a little bit too difficult if i could change something about the game i would say the first thing to change is make these optional challenges a little bit more forgiving um, of course, they are rated with, you know, gold medal and silver medal and so on. That's fine. Make it a little bit more forgiving if I just want to get through them and don't take so much time for me to restart the challenge. I stopped even going to the challenges because I was, I, I just had in my head, I don't know that I'll be able to do that. I don't want to invest the time into it. And to me, that's, um, that may, that may be on me because I don't, really like i said i i don't look for these action games too often i like them when they come out um but i i had in my head like i just want to play the, through the story and get to the end because i am not enjoying this as much as i think other people might so i want to make that very clear i don't know that we're the audience for this game <laughs> yeah that's true i mean i have been growing fonder of it over time mm. For me, it also was a big boon that Viola was introduced in this game. I was going to say, I think that made me grow fonder of it over time. I really like the inclusion of Viola as a character. She's interesting because she is also kind of a hot girl like Bayonetta, but she doesn't play into this kind of female domination fetish as much as Bayonetta does. Viola is more, she's more clumsy. Uh, she's a little bit silly and over the top. She's basically Chloe from Life is Strange. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> put into Bayonetta. And she's even, she's got two attributes that make her super interesting. The first one is that uh, in in combat, she has a different uh, skill set. She fights with a katana 
And she, instead of summoning demons, she can summon Cheshire, the Cheshire cat, of course. But she does that by throwing her katana into the ground. And then while Cheshire Cat is summoned, you can't control it or give it any orders. You just hold down the button and she can continue fighting with her fists. So her moveset changes quite a bit uh, as soon as Cheshire Cat is summoned. And that makes it interesting. It's a nice little um, alteration from the combat that you're used to playing Bayonetta. Yeah, I, I found myself enjoying her sequences more. I think maybe because there wasn't so much uh, complexity to her. And I felt like I could master her combat a bit more. What I also really enjoyed about her in terms of a character is that she was maybe her, her kind of background reveal and her story, which I won't get into for spoiler reasons, but that was like the subtlest part of the game to the point where you had to kind of pick up on context clues for the bulk of the, it, it's, it's an obvious kind of reveal, but it's never really flat out said until maybe the last moment. And I thought that that was really well done. So uh, things like knowing that Bayonetta called Luca Cheshire in the first game is a very kind of subtle nod to, okay, there's some kind of connection here. I really like this. I, at one point, Luca says to Viola, uh, Bayonetta and her nicknames, you know, and it's just like, it, there's all these things that in a game that's so flashy and so over the top, those subtleties really stood out and I really appreciated those for her character and made me really like her. Yeah, she keeps calling Viola Kitty. Yeah. <laughs> for most of Which the game. She's not happy about. But. <laughs> <laughs> she's not happy about it. And it's always, it's always a little bit hilarious uh, when she complains about it. She's also, I think as we've mentioned already, she's a very clumsy character and often the comic relief. Like there's, there's a sequence... That I just I couldn't believe that this was actually happening where her butt was on fire <laughs> and and then she That's runs right. down a hill and she's like and you know you have to evade some obstacles where I just thought how silly can this game get well apparently always a tiny step sillier than I thought it would yeah and I love that she's like these <laughs> I only brought this set of clothes I can't have them burn up <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should also mention briefly that uh Jeanne, who we've only addressed for a moment, she has these glorious sequences. You said she's basically like Samus. Yeah, it's like a Metroid game. <laughs> it's like a Metroid game. Yeah, it's a little... It's, they call it Jeanne's spy action. And whenever it comes on, it's part of like... It's side chapters, small side chapters. And I think there are like four or five through, spread There's throughout four. the game. Four. Yep. Um, and they are always like... Uh, yeah, one of these aspects where the gameplay is completely thrown off uh, and it's uh, just a very different game. It's like a stealth game where you sneak around and you don't really fight all that much, although you do a little bit later. But you sneak through. You're on a timer. You collect hamburgers and french fries, apparently, <laughs> to get bonus points. And uh, it's a 2D game. And it has a beautiful intro that always plays before the mission starts. It's a little bit like if you are familiar with older James Bond films or yeah, yeah, or 13, the video game 13. It's like these super old school style spy thriller jazz intros, jazz noir intros. Which fits her character really well because she is kind of like the, the 60s mod British kind of character. And so having those spy thriller um, aesthetics in there worked really well. I'll say that I I think usually in games where they 
they're not optional side missions. You have to do them. Um, it's every maybe three or four chapters you get a genre chapter. And I don't typically enjoy when games make you do something and call it a side chapter, but I really looked forward to these because it was such a change of pace and it was so kind of, it was a nice break to just play something a little less insane <laughs> for a little while. And I really like Jean as a character and, um, I think they were really well put together to the point where they got their own credit sequence <laughs> at the end of the last chapter. That is so weird, isn't it? It's I've never seen a game do that before where once you're done with a certain component of it, they already give you the credits for that. Yeah, there's, there's, I think, maybe two or three chapters of the normal game after yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought credits are running. I thought, like, is it is a game over now? But then I thought that can't be possible because it's like... <laughs> but I love that they did that because you can tell that it was a different unit working on that game. And it's like having a little mini game that's important to the rest of the story and you get your own do when that little story is over it was a different team yeah that worked on it and you can clearly tell you can clearly tell i just wish i love jean's spy action but i really wish they would also be a little bit more liberal on the timer there why always these strict time constraints it's like it always rushing me so much especially because it's so fun you want to explore because it is like a metroidvania there's elevators and you get to uh you know you get to hide behind curtains and John takes a shower to lure in pervs and then kills them. It's fantastic. And then she's like, I've killed for less. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this entire game, uh, exactly like its predecessors, it plays into this, uh, yeah, I, I, I said like female domination, femme fatale fetish. Um, and it does that. It completely commits to this kind of thing. Like I, I remember there's like a, a bubble bath fight in the clouds that basically consists mostly of like moaning and stuff there's lots of fan service here like often bayonetta is quite underdressed mm. uh, <laughs> but there is also i found there's this uh, safe for work mode called naive angel oh yeah <laughs> if you want to activate that if you if you are thinking about you know having someone a bit younger uh, play bayonetta then it's totally possible to enjoy the game and it's not too naughty by playing in the naive angel mode. Or indeed, if you're playing on your Switch on the train and you don't want somebody looking over your shoulder. And the grandma <laughs> behind you is kind of like, yeah. oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> is this one of these video games? <laughs> poor grandma. Uh, and poor Switch, I should say. Poor Nintendo Switch. Because uh, that console is aching and creaking under the weight of this game it's not like it's loud i didn't i didn't hear any like uh fan sounds or something uh, significantly although i also did only play in docked mode i never played in handheld i played well i played the first chapter in handheld mode um and it was it was fine but i think like you're about to say it is this game deserves a better system <laughs> it does yeah especially um, in order to create more vivid en environments. Because um, we spoke about the different set pieces. And I think that these different locations with this multiverse travel are one of the highlights that you always get to jump somewhere else. There are also lots of collectibles that incentivize you to explore a little bit, to go off the beaten path. But I also compared it to a theme park before. 
And this is very much true because in a theme park, you have the situation that if, as long as you're on the track where you should be, things look quite gorgeous. But if you go around it a little bit, <laughs> then you see like all of these like rusty metal plates and things are like some cork board that's like, you know, sometimes painted, sometimes not. It just, it all crumbles and falls apart. There's a sad clown smoking. Yeah, he's like, you know, he's, he's currently on break. He's like smoking next to a trash can. Yeah, his makeup is running. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> That's exactly the kind of feeling that I have in Bayonetta when I go around a corner and I just uh, see these these textures. They're just like elongated and like stretched along the walls where you can see nobody put any effort into this and probably nobody could have because uh, the f fidelity, the technological fidelity of the system is not sufficient to render any proper environment to this degree of detail. It's fine with something like, we had our problems with uh, Arceus, with how that looked, because it's this massive world. But you, you kind of give it a pass because it's Pokemon, and it's not as detailed as something like Bayonetta, where you want to see all of these worlds that they've created. You want to see the fights in a way that makes sense and doesn't just shut your brain off. It's... um. I think this is the first time where I've genuinely felt like, all right, the switch needs to really go. If we're going to keep going like this, we need a new system. We need a switch pro for a future Bayonetta game. Definitely. And, and also uh, just in case uh, it wasn't clear so far, there are two small remarks that I still have in my sheet. They both pertain to the audio level because we said, yes, uh, that um, Jennifer Hale, she does a great job as the new Bayonetta. Uh, and I think, she does. I found her voice very befitting. Not having played the former games, to me, it sounded perfectly organic. Yeah, I think she did a really great job. And I also think she she didn't just do a um, Helena Taylor impression. She really made the character her own, which I thought was really cool and not intrusive. It felt very um, apt for the story that this game was telling. We also pointed out that the score, the musical compositions specifically for this game are absolutely fantastic. Um, it was definitely, that would be my highlight of this game. I would say um, if you are thinking about jumping into Bayonetta, then I would say yes, it's, it is worth it. And one of the main reasons why it is worth it is because the music is just so good. Sometimes with these games, I'll turn down the volume on the fights. Um, and then I'll turn it back up for the cutscenes. I didn't do that with Bayonetta 3. I enjoyed the music all the way through. They always alternate between some smooth piano jazz and mm. uh, then they bring in, especially themed to the character with viola, they bring in like explosive J-punk rock stuff. Yeah. It's At one really point, cool. uh, Luca calls her Riot Girl and it is just Riot Girl music. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. And at the same time though, one thing really baffled me. The audio mixing of the voices of the bad guys. What were they thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was watching that. And honestly, for the first two hours of this game, I thought uh, the enemies were speaking gibberish. I thought yeah. I was not supposed to understand what they were saying because the voices are mixed in such a way. They are like heavily distorted and like relatively low. There's a million layers. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what are they talking about? I actually had to turn on subtitles. Which is fine. I don't mind reading subtitles, but it's just weird that I have to turn it on only to read what the enemies are saying, you know? <laughs> I, I had subtitles on from the start, and I 
would, I would listen and I would read and it would be like, I would get totally different things. So I don't know what they're expecting you to glean from this villain when he, when it's talking, because it's, it's so, it's unbelievable. And I understand if you're having a multiverse story where there's a villain who's kind of across the multiverse, I think it's cool to do layered voice because it's like this person is everywhere and nowhere. But the way that they did it here was so weird. It was like a kid with a keyboard that had all the different settings on it and he was just messing with it. It drove me insane. And that was such a shame because the villain's kind of cool and that voice just made him go down a few notches in my head. <laughs> totally my impression as well. Yeah. Mm, it was, I, I just, I thought the voice, it's like, and then, um, I thought, it's okay, monkey at a certain point. Yeah, yeah. I, I <laughs> yeah. thought, okay, so so that's that's how the maybe that's some kind of you know demon language or something. But then suddenly, in the second or third cutscene, Bayonetta was like, I don't think so, and I was like, what? What <laughs> you understand? Even, yeah. <laughs> and then I realized, like, oh, I was supposed to understand what's going on here. And then I turn on subtitles, and it's actual words that they're speaking. <laughs> which which was crazy to me because it made me think of um the. Uh, uh, the the voice modulation in Devil May Cry, which was like twenty plus years ago, and it's it's great, you know, it's ah demon demon voices understood. This guy, <laughs> man, yeah, it was it was almost laughable at certain points. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, I guess it's time for our conclusive uh, statements to round up our review. Do you want to begin, Dan? Yeah. Speaking of conclusions, this game just kept ending. <laughs> I just wanted to put that in there. It was like. I have in my notes that this game ended more than the return of the King because it was just like every time you thought it was over, another thing would pop up. So, um, yeah, I think if I had to give this a grade, I would say from take it with a grain of salt because my tastes are pretty clear. I think at this point I'm a big RPG guy. I like, uh, games that are not action games, right? I will say with all of the fantastic music, um, the fun character of viola who i really liked um i think that i would i would give this game a b minus <laughs> i think pretty average for me pretty solid um i was never taken out of it i was interested to see where it went but um i'll be honest if we weren't if we weren't reviewing it for the show i don't know that i would have finished it oh i see mm. yeah okay for me that's a little bit I, I give it a tiny notch up i'll give it a b or Let's say on a great on a scale from one to ten, I would give it an eight. I would say I'm at a strong six, maybe a seven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I I think that it is totally worthwhile, and I had a really nice time. I enjoyed the game as soon as I had stopped trying to um, trying to follow things closely, <laughs> and as I had to, as soon as I had opened my mind to the absurdity. And just said, like, you know, never mind. It's just a spectacle. It's like a roller coaster ride. It's like a bit of a spectacle. It's all fun and games. Just put on a fun costume on Bayonetta and run around and see whether you can get through it. That really helped me. At the same time, I do, of course, I wish um, there was more potential there when it comes to um, making the story actually compelling. There was also, in my mind, more potential there to make the combat engaging. I know it's on a pretty high level already, but I don't think it's on the level that other um, very like fast-paced combat games are at. And of course, well, the Switch's hardware limitations also weigh in a bit where I just say, mm, after now playing on the PS5 for a while, 
yeah. it is pretty tough to go back to a game that looks like as if it's already two console generations old. And I know that it just came out last week. That's that's a little Doesn't bit tough. It. Yeah. 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 I I should say, um, when we were talking about reviewing this, I mentioned to you, because I think I was thinking in my head, Bayonetta 1 came out on the PS3 and the Xbox 360. And then Bayonetta 2 went over to the Wii U. And in my head, I was thinking, oh, Bayonetta, PlayStation. And so I said to you, well, I'm going on a trip soon, so I'll bring my PS5 and play Bayonetta 3. And you said, no, you won't. You won't <laughs> no. be doing that at all. Said, oh, right. And I, my heart sank because I remembered it was just on the Switch. <laughs> uh, let's see how Pokemon fares on the Switch because that's going to come out in two weeks, right? Yes, yes. After God of War Ragnarok, it'll be Whiplash City. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pokemon, they really like to take these big games head on. I think last time it was Elden Ring when it came out. That's right. Yeah, that's true. They, they are to... not afraid. <laughs> uh, they know what they're up against. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was our review of Bayonetta 3. Thank you so very much for listening to the show. If you've got any thoughts or questions or corrections, then head over to studyingpixels.com contact. You know where to find us and where to support us, which is at studyingpixels.com plus. Thanks again, and we will be in touch next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.